bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come because you commanded us to come. And we come because you care for us. And we come because we have something that we never could have thought of or earned or worked for or achieved in our own strength. And that is the fact that we as sinful, mortal humans can come before the very throne of Almighty Sovereign God with all of our cares, with all of our concerns. And we think about this great big world, this universe, all of the people, all of the things, all of the prophecies, everything that you were doing and everything that you're working right now. And oh, they're so big, we can't even fathom them. And yet at the same time, while you're doing all of that, when we come in the name of Jesus and because of Jesus, I thank you that you hear our concerns. Big to us, Yet you take them, Lord, and you minister to them, and you help us, and you strengthen us, and you listen to us. You hear our complaints. You hear our pettiness. You hear the burdens of our heart. You hear the big things that are about to crush us. Thank you that you care about all of them because you care for us. And so we thank you. Now, Lord, we've got some people that we know who are hurting this morning because they've lost loved ones. We've got people today that we know that are hurting because they're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They are scattered. They are confused. We've got people that we know that are going down destructive paths. They're hurting themselves, hurting other people, hurting families. We look around at a world that doesn't know up from down, right from left. Father, we live in a time where we need so much clarity and you're the only one that can give it and I pray that at this time that we would not be silent but I pray also we wouldn't be unloving either and I pray father that we would be filled with faith and hope and love and we pray father that as you minister to us as you meet our needs as you provide for us and our families keep us healthy keep us strong and renew our faith day by day. And we pray this because of who you are, because we know you care, because we know you are powerful, and because we rest in you and rest in you alone. And so in that, we just breathe a sigh of relief, and we thank you that you're in control, and we rest in the Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so very much. Let's turn in our Bibles to the 10th chapter of Exodus this morning. And we're going to look at a, another couple of plagues. And we're going to gain some uh, insight out of this. So let's go to Exodus, the 10th chapter. Now when we talk about this, we're, we're again in our series here looking at the judgment of God on Egypt. But it's at this one that in my mind at least, there are some things that kind of come clear. Uh, I have... Uh, struggled with vision since I was about 10 years of age. And I remember uh, when I was in fourth grade at uh, Morris Hill Elementary School in Fort Riley, Kansas, uh, I was looking at the teacher writing on, okay, here's a term that's going to really date me, writing on the chalkboard. You remember that? 
It was green. It wasn't a blackboard. It was green, and she would write on the chalk. And I remember that there were certain things that she wrote that I could see just fine and certain things not quite so much. And it kind of depended upon how hard she pressed on the chalk. And it also depended on how big that she wrote. I didn't think anything of it. I thought that was normal. And I found out later on it wasn't normal. They had, uh, being a military school, they would have, you know, dentists and doctors and optometrists and things come into the school and do some screening. And I remember looking at an eye chart and there were certain things on there I couldn't read that other kids seemed to be able to read. And I had no idea why. Well, they sent me to an optometrist. And at the optometrist, you know, they ask you, how many lines down can you read? And I don't remember. I mean, it wasn't that uh, drastic of a problem then. But um, I remember when they would put that thing in front of your eyes. And uh, some of you have been through this, where they go, which is better, one or two? I think they trick you most of the time on that. At least while I'm sitting there, even to this day, which looks better? And I, you know, can imagine sometimes they go one or two, and I go two, and they go, they're thinking, you said one while ago, it's the same thing. Um, I know they have to figure all of that out. But isn't it an amazing thing when it all starts becoming clear? And uh, as my vision problems have, uh, you know, increased, that's more important to me now than ever before because it is so rare that I see something uh, clearly and in uh, you know, high definition and true color and all of that kind of stuff. Well, in the plagues that are happening here, something is happening in the lives of the Hebrew slaves. Now, just to make sure everybody's clear on this, when the Bible talks about the children of Israel, it's not talking about a bunch of little kids. Okay? It's talking about Israel. His other name was Jacob. These are the children or the descendants of the man Jacob. That's where the nation of Israel gets its name from Jacob or Israel. And these are his descendants. Now, while we are reading these things and understanding that God is indeed judging Egypt and Pharaoh, and there is a showdown, but he is also doing something in the lives of the Israelis. You see, they're watching all of this too. And they're seeing all of this unfold. They had no idea that any of this was going to happen. They weren't praying for a Moses. They weren't looking for a Moses. Moses just shows up with Aaron. And then, uh, you know, things start to happen. But remember back at the very beginning of this, it wasn't all good. Pharaoh got angry and he made the lives of the children of Israel worse, not better. So they weren't real happy with Moses and they weren't real happy with the way things were unfolding. If there is a God, if he does remember the covenant, if he cares about us, why is all of this happening and why is it getting worse instead of getting better? We've had some of those same kind of questions in our own lives at times. And so now by the time we get to these uh, two that we're going to look at today, and we've got one more plague, and so we're saving that one for last. That's going to be a great series when we look at that. And uh, when we think about this, things are starting to come into focus. And maybe a little bit for the Egyptians, and a whole lot for the Israelis. So, read it with me. Exodus chapter 10, and let's start reading at verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Let's just pause for a second and think about what he just said. I'm doing these things and I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart for the purpose not only of setting you free, but of telling you who I am, that you may pass it on to your children and your children's children. Now, that would be important because Israel at this point, they're not real sure they have a future. God is just telling them, you have a future, and it's going to go throughout the generations. That's a a pretty amazing thing and a very hopeful thing. So look at verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Boy, that was, those were dreaded words in those days. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains Uh, to you from the hail things go from bad to worse and they shall eat every tree which grows for you out of the field and they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians which neither your fathers nor your fathers fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day and he turned and went out from Pharaoh Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? That's kind of a wake-up call. Moses was insignificant before. Now look at this. Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go and serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, And serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Isn't it interesting that Pharaoh, when he's finally coming to the place under pressure from his advisors to let them go, he says, you can go, but leave me your children. Leave your children. And that's the same cry today. The devil will say to you and to me, go ahead and worship, go ahead and gather, go ahead and believe what you believe, but give us your children. And boy, are they ever wreaking havoc upon us because in some cases we have done exactly that, haven't we? He always wants the kids. He always wants the kids, doesn't he? Well, the Bible says in verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, for the locust, uh, that the locusts they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land that all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust, and the locust went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. And they were very severe. Previously there had been no such locust as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened and they ate every herb of the land and all of the fruit of the trees which the hail had left." So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Well, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, hurry and get them here, and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Well, that's a change, isn't it? Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And so the, he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong east wind which took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other words, he got angrier about this. And he did not let the children, the descendants of Israel go. So one more time, one more time this happens and all it does is result in Pharaoh being more determined not to let them go and he also exposes himself there again as a liar, doesn't he? Even though he acknowledges the Lord, he's not repentant before the Lord, he's not submissive to the Lord and he's not letting go of his other gods. In fact, he even thinks that he himself is a god and so uh, you can see the hardness of his heart there. And that is, of course, from the Lord, the Bible tells us. Okay, go on down to verse 21, because this isn't all of it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. That's dark. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt, Three days. Notice it's without warning. He doesn't go before Pharaoh on this one. Verse 23. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called Moses to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. In other words... Let your little ones go with you. You can take your kids if you're so insistent on it, but leave me your wealth. Leave me your money. Keep that separate. That way you'll come back. And uh, he said, but Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. And not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. We've got to go prepared, and you're going to help us. Verse 27, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. 
Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. In other words, don't come back or your head will be separated from your shoulders. Verse 29, So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Well, uh, we look at this story and we see this thing. It's just a repeat over and over and over and over. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart, sometimes hardened by the Lord, and sometimes it's Pharaoh's heart that's hardened. So whatever God does to Pharaoh's heart, it's not because Pharaoh said, oh, I would really want to trust you, but you won't let me. That's not the case. God's just doing what Pharaoh was already doing and what Pharaoh uh, uh, wanted to do and intended to do and God's just saying that's what you want that's what you're going to get and then God is doing it for the purpose of making sure that all ten plagues all ten of them the complete package are brought upon Egypt because God has uh, something that he is doing here not only for the Egyptians but also for the Israelis the Israelis have to believe that God is the supreme God and the all-powerful one they can't have any doubt about that as they go uh, in the wilderness to go to the land of Canaan and I want you to think about this clarification think about these four things that are becoming very 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 clear not only to the Egyptians not only to Pharaoh but also to the slaves and these are the things that they've got to know and they've got to believe and number one would be this what is the plague clarifying here it's revealing that uh, God Yahweh is Israel's true God it's revealing that there's not just a, a lot of gods out there. Take your pick and hope you get a good one. Or change your God for a stronger God. If this one doesn't work for you, find another God. This is to make it very clear that there is no other God. I had someone say to me one time, we were talking, and they said, I wouldn't serve a God like you describe. And uh, I said, yeah, but the problem is you don't have a choice. Because there's not another God. There's not a better God. There's not a different God. There's not a more palatable God. There's only one true and living God. And this is what has to be in the minds of the Israelis. 400 years of slavery. They've seen all of the idolatry. They've heard all of the stories, all of the mythology. They've seen all of the rituals, all of that kind of stuff. And it's as if God has to get that out of their mind. And he has to impose himself upon Egypt, upon the Egyptian gods, upon Pharaoh himself in such a way that when the Israelis walk out, they are absolutely convinced that there is only one true and living God that brings them out of the land of Egypt. And of course, God uh, reiterates that. Even at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And uh, on, later on, hundreds of years later, the prophets would say, pardon me, say that same thing because that's something that uh, is always kind of up for debate. Is there a God? Is there only one God? And is this God the true and the living God? And you and I have to be convinced of that as well. No other options, no other God, no other way, or it robs us of uh, the power that we have. Uh, it's interesting in the Hebrew that when it says uh, the signs that I have done, it literally means uh, I dealt harshly with or I made sport of. 
And this is God that is taking everything that the Egyptians, the world empire, the scientific capital of the world at that time, all the things that they believed in, God made a mockery out of those things. Why? Showing that he is the true and the living God, not only to Egypt, but also to Israel. Secondly, would you also notice that the plagues expose the frauds? Uh, this is going and finding uh, the gods of Egypt and the way that they worked and what the people believed, including Pharaoh himself, and exposing the fact that they were empty, that they had no power, that they had nothing at all with which they could uh, compete with the Lord. I mean, occasionally under demonic power, they could, you know, turn water into blood and make the problem worse. But that only lasted for three out of the ten plagues. After that, the magicians themselves says, this is the finger of God. And what is happening here, as they go step by step and plague by plague, the powerlessness, the emptiness of Pharaoh is being exposed. The emptiness of the Egyptian gods is being exposed. And so everything that they had, all of their culture, all of their religion, everything that they had put forth as being the biggest, the best, the brightest, the latest, the most up-to-date is being exposed as we don't know what we're talking about. We have absolutely no clue. I don't have any doubt that it uh, God seems to be doing that same thing with us today. The more we learn, the more we find out we don't know. The more people are adamant, the more people are saying, this is what science has to say, and it is settled science. And then there comes something along right after that that shows that they are powerless and empty in the way that they are proclaiming all of these kind of things. God is teaching us and reminding us that we have to trust him and we have to trust him alone. And aside from him, there is absolutely no hope and he's making people look foolish. It's uh, been amazing to me that there have been so many people that have said the settled science of global warming, we are going to be gone and the oceans will be destroyed and the earth will be destroyed. Life as we know it will be destroyed. Well, all you have to do is go back to the 1990s, especially when Al Gore started talking about this. And the time period that they gave back then has already expired and we're still here. And they keep telling us this. Another 10 years. And I can make you a promise unless the Lord comes in 10 years, we will still be here and the earth will still be here. Because climate change does not rule the day. God is the one who is ruling the day and it is God who determines how long the earth will last and how long time will last, how long humanity will last and it's not anything else and it's certainly not carbon emissions that are going to determine that. Now should we be a good steward of the environment? You bet we should. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We ought to take care of it. But at the same time, should we be afraid that something besides God is going to destroy the earth or life as we know it? Not on your life, because God is the one who is in control. And so I think that some of the things that climate change proponents have said in the past, 20 and 30 years ago, it's marked them as frauds. The emperor has no clothes, right? 
The, uh, if you've ever read The Wizard of Oz and you find out that when the curtain is dropped, there is no wizard with great power. There's just a, a man who is hidden behind the curtain. And this is what is happening in our day. And I think to a certain degree, even with COVID-19, it seems as though one day you hear this and the next day you hear this because nobody really knows. Now, sadly, sadly... One of the differences between what COVID-19 is doing and the flu is doing is I've, uh, you and I have been around flu all of our lives. I don't know anybody out of all of my life that has died from the flu. I already know two people who have died from COVID-19. So do we take it seriously? Of course we do. At the same time, do we panic and say this is going to be the end of earth and life as we know it? Not on your life because our hope is not in this world or in this life, but in a sovereign God. And if we don't have the opportunity uh, to show that in daily life, if we've been living for years saying, I wish I had an opportunity to witness, brother, sister, you've got it now. You've got it now. And the times in which we live are opening doors for us to be different, to act different, to live differently, and to proclaim a different message And we can give a message of hope, a message of grace, a message of love, and even a message of power that glorifies our Lord. And it just might be that somebody will listen to you who has never listened before because they're finding out that in everything that we do, nobody really has answers. Nobody really knows. Things are constantly changing. And that's why it's good to hold on to the rock that is higher than us and to have a firm foundation that comes in and through Jesus Christ and the Word of God. In the book of Psalms, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Now, don't be arrogant when you do that, but stand. And while everything begins to collapse and fall apart, we've seen the economy attacked, we've seen sports and entertainment attacked, we have seen all kinds of things, and politically we're in upheaval and all of that. Well, let's not be tossed about by every wind and wave like they are. Why? Because we have an anchor, and our anchor, unlike on ships, it doesn't go down, our anchor goes up. And it rests in the Lord Jesus Christ behind the veil in the Holy of Holies where Christ has poured his own blood on the mercy seat where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And you know what the word from heaven today is for troubled Americans? From God's perspective, all is well. Take a deep breath. Rest in him. You say, well, what about all the things that are going on? Here's the bottom line. For me and for you. I'm either going to get it or I'm not. And if I get it, I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. We just put it right there in simple terms. But that's true of everything. That's true of traveling in your automobile. That's true of cancer. That's true of all kinds of things, is it not? That's the way life boils down to. And while the world is scared to death... We look at this, and I quote our friend Wayne Robinson from a long time ago. Remember when he told us about his cancer? And he stood down here in front of the church, and he said, For me, it's a win-win situation. 
right? I mean, listen, Paul told us it's far better to depart and be with the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? But if we remain, guess what? We're still the Lord's. So if you're here, there's a reason you're here. If he takes you, hallelujah, you're going to be with the Lord. What if we really, really believed that and displayed that before a lost and dying world? Now, does that mean we're not careful? No, don't be silly. Because the Bible calls us to protect life, even our own life. But understand that the ultimate in all of that is in the hand of the Lord. And if we really say we love God and trust God, it ought to show in the way that we live and in our attitude about things. Number three, what is God making clear here? Well, the plagues made clear God's chosen leader. You see, the uh, Israelis, by the time Moses comes and by the time Pharaoh has them making more bricks and all of that, they're kind of, you know, like, Moses, just keep your mouth shut and go away. You're making things worse. Well, that's the person that God had chosen, though. That's the person God had chosen. And the people have to be willing to follow the man that God has chosen. This is not something that they can come up with something better. This is the man that God has chosen for them. And in order for all of this to work, they've got to trust God and the leader that God has given them. So what is happening? You know, the Israelis are not suffering these last, uh, what is it, seven plagues. That's just on Egypt. They have suffered through the first. But don't get the idea they're just sitting back eating bonbons and laughing. They're still slaves. They're still making bricks. They're still feeling the lash of the whip. And as Egypt gets more and more angry at the plagues, they're probably taking it out more and more on Israel. So Israel's looking and saying, God sent somebody and things are getting worse and the Egyptians are getting angrier and Pharaoh is tightening his grip on all of us. What in the world is going on? What's this guy doing? Who is this clown anyway? Well, through all of this, God is showing them, this is the man that I have anointed. This is the man that I have chosen. And you know the Israelis heard the stories. Moses goes in before Pharaoh, pronounces a plague upon him, and then it happens. He goes to Pharaoh and says, this is where it's going to stop, and then it stops. And they're going, what kind of a person is this? Well, Moses is just a normal, everyday person. He was a sinner like you and like me and all of the same things and trials and tribulations we go through, right? He's the guy that when the Lord appears at the burning bush, he doesn't say, I'm your man, I'm ready to go. He's the one that says, send somebody else, I can't do this. Well, this is a different Moses now. Because as God is revealing to Pharaoh, this guy is a force to be reckoned with. Remember what his servant said? He's also showing Israel, this is the man I have chosen. But you know what this blesses me the most? God is also showing Moses you're the man. You're the man. And this is a different Moses than we saw at first. Remember the Moses that we saw at first said, I can't speak and nobody's going to listen to me. And God said, then I'll send Aaron. And when they first go before Pharaoh, they give kind of an abbreviated version of what God has to say. Now it's Moses talking. 
And Moses is talking face to face to Pharaoh because I think at this point, Moses is starting to believe that he is chosen by God for all of this. It's the same confidence you have to have, not in yourself, but in the Lord who made you, created you, fashioned you, and has placed you in such a time as this. Stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then fourthly, notice that the plagues also unmask the heart. You know, I was in uh, Walmart a few weeks ago, and I didn't wear a mask. I don't like wearing masks, and at that time we didn't have to, and so I chose not to. It's probably rude of me, but I chose not to. I got some dirty looks from some people. Well, at least I think I did. I perceived it, but I couldn't really tell because their face was covered, right? So they might have been smiling, but I don't know. Their Irish eyes weren't smiling. I wasn't real sure. I couldn't really tell. You know, until the mask comes off, you don't really know. And Pharaoh, oh, he said some things. I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against you. You know, I'll let the people go. He's a liar. And it is through this plague and the one that remains that the mask is taken off Pharaoh's heart. You know, one of the things that uh, is kind of distressing right now is that when you get on social media or when you watch television or something, people are angry right now. And they're frustrated. And they're divided. And they're fighting. And there doesn't seem to be any way that people can kind of work together. And a lot of people are distressed about it. I, I kind of am too. I get tired of it. I get really tired when Christian people are presenting to the world this I'm angry at you and I hate you and you're tearing up and messing up my life instead of presenting grace and humility and the gospel. You know, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That ought to make every Christian know-it-all kind of stop for just a moment and say, I need to be careful about being arrogant because God may be resisting me. That may be why my words aren't carrying any power. Think about that. But you know what it also does? Think about it. The fact now that people are so free to express their opinions, at least you know where they stand. At least you know who your friends are. At least you know who your enemies are. There can be some great value in that. When my dad was in Vietnam, he said one of the biggest problems you had was that you were fighting against people that were from the same country, spoke the same language, had the same culture, and the Viet Cong didn't bother to wear a uniform, so you didn't know if they were an enemy or not. Hey, it's good when the heart is unmasked sometimes so that you can see where the enemy is working and what people are really thinking and what they're really feeling. That way we know how to pray. That way we know how to minister. That way we know how to fight the right enemy because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Some of you have forgotten that. And it's at this time where Pharaoh comes back out and he says, if you show up here again, I'm going to have you executed. Well, let's just be clear. Pharaoh's not a friend. Pharaoh is been superficial in those times when he has been complimentary or has said something about it. Pharaoh's not, not Moses' friend. Moses is not going to be able to come to a compromise with Pharaoh, and that's sometimes a good thing to know. And as we look at this hostile and dark world, let's understand God is waking you up, believer, to wake you up to know this world is not and has never been your home. 
It wasn't your home in the 80s. It wasn't your home in the 50s. It has never been that way for a child of God, right? We understand that people are not our enemy. We have to understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We better put our armor on and understand we have always been in a warfare. And even when the culture seemed to like us, or mirror us, or think like we do, it was still an enemy, and there was a hidden, secret, sinister agenda working behind the scenes, and that's what has gotten us to where we are now. We've got to realize that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're on warfare footing, and we had better understand that, and God allows the truth to come out so that we can take up arms. Because maybe a few years ago we kind of thought, ah, it's not that difficult. And maybe we don't need to be on warfare footing all that much. Let's just relax and take a snooze. And, uh, you know, I'll keep my sword handy, but it's by my hammock. And I'm in the hammock taking a snooze in the sunshine. Uh, you can't do that anymore. You've got to stop doing that. Everything you do, child of God, everything matters. The words that come out of your mouth... Your politics, your finances, your church attendance, your giving, everything, your morality, your entertainment, everything matters right now. And we've got to understand that, especially as we are raising our children. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. And I wondered one time when I read that, if I rejoice when my enemy falls and God turns his anger away from him, maybe he turns it toward me. Who knows? But it's something to think about. A little humility. A little humility could go a long way as we see the unmasking of the human heart. So be careful. Don't... Uh, don't get caught up in all of this kind of stuff. And here's what I would advise you to do, and we'll close. Look for God's hand and power in the destruction and in the darkness. Whether it's locust and literal darkness, or whether it's spiritual darkness and blindness and a pandemic. Look for the hand of God. God is at work. Secondly, when fraud is exposed, and it will be, don't gloat. Don't gloat. Serve and proclaim the truth. And be careful. Don't follow a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's a lot of them out there, and they're more accessible than ever before. You be careful who you listen to. You be careful who you follow and measure everything by the truth of the Word of God. And aim for the heart. Superficial, moralistic type legalism is not really the answer. We want to see people's hearts changed. But don't forget your heart is there as well. Is God working in your heart? Are you surrendered? And are you submissive to Him as you share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Could we take a moment and pray about that? And then we'll be dismissed. Father, as we think about how often we are so capable of getting angry, of being arrogant... And we sometimes lose sight of what you're doing. We get bitter toward you. We get bewildered. We get confused. We become easy for the enemy to trick and to lead us astray. 
Sometimes we get into fights with other people, forgetting that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then other times we're just happy if maybe people just kind of keep their mouth shut and they just go our way or vote the way we want them to vote or act the way we would like for them to act and their heart really hasn't been changed. Help us to see you go beyond all of that to the real heart of the matter, but only if we are walking convinced that you are God and you alone are God, that there's salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that you sit on the throne sovereignly ruling over our lives and over this world and even over the universe. So, Lord, forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we send out a mixed message. And forgive us, Father, when we allow ourselves to drift. Let us stand on the rock and to stand in confidence, to stand in humility and grace, and to stand boldly for the cause of Christ and for the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to live during such a time as this. Our life is probably never counted as much as it is counting right now. May it count for something good for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. And may the Lord bless you. Brother Dale.